Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. Hello and welcome back to another Family Affair episode where I'm joined by a group of amazing individuals who happen to be some of my nearest and dearest. I am fortunate to be joined by Rafan Kebe, a somatic movement teacher and trainer who offers grounded and practical teachings focused on helping conscious, intuitive and artistic teachers to share their unique approaches to the practice of yoga, movement and somatic inquiry. He also happens to be my wonderful husband. Also joined by Calvin Niles, a passionate communicator and mindful living coach, making a positive impact on the lives of leaders, entrepreneurs, coaches, and wider society through his services and products. And this guy is my awesome brother. Last but not least, joined by Dr. Saida Desile, a counterculture creatrix, body philosopher, and advocate for sexual sovereignty. Saida has also written The Emergence of the Sensual Woman, followed by her newest book, Desire. This beauty is one of my dearest friends. So this is pretty much a family affair, and we have conversations like these all the time. If you haven't already watched or listened to our first episode together, make sure to check out Finding Opportunity Within Challenge. In this episode, our conversation runs along the thread of the inside approach or the inside out approach to life. We speak about taking responsibility for your own thoughts and behaviors and equally knowing when it's not your responsibility. We speak about the importance of doing the inner work for social change and also change versus transformation. And these are just a few points of discussion. Make sure to tune in for the full scoop. Okay, this is such an honor. I'm so blessed to have the four of us together in each other's physical presence this time to have part two of the family affair. Mm -hmm. And I want to kick start really just very briefly with two questions. And um, it really isn't two questions. It's a statement or, or let's say a sentence that I'd like you each to finish. So I'll say the sentence, and if I can then just go around the room this way, and then the second time, if we can go around the room that way, that would be great. So that first sentence, starting here over you with you, Saida. If I could wake up in the morning and one thing be better in the world, I would want it to be... Mm. That we, every person has a deep sense of self-love and respect, and that just flows outwardly yeah beautiful thanks I think I would say that people (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd say that uh, people really ought to connect deeper with their truest self because I think that um, Mm. we would be more harmonious Mm. yeah okay awesome can you repeat please If I could wake up in the morning and one thing be better in the world, I would want it to be? That people concentrate their focus and forces on their potential Mm. as opposed to their flows. Mm. 
Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. Okay, so we're coming back this way now. Second question or sentence. If I could wake up in the morning and one thing be better in me, I would want it to be. Mm. Quite honestly, that I could do better by sleeping less. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I think I would like to extend on the potential. I would like to maybe connect a bit more with my own potential, actually. Mm. 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 Yeah, beautiful. And for me, it would be to risk shining even more brightly. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And so the reason that I started our conversation off with these two questions is because I think this is a thread that I've been percolating around a lot for myself personally and in my work. And I know that it is something that you can all relate to in your own way. And that is that, um, that inside out approach to life. And I think that when we focus on ourselves as individuals and honor what we need to bring and gift the world, starting with ourselves, mm. then it will make an, you know, we can have an impact or make a change or dot, 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 whatever that is. So with that thread in mind, I thought it would be really fun because we talk about so many different things that rather to theme this conversation on, you know, how do you change the world? <laughs> how about we theme it on that thread of the inside out approach, whether that is in changing the world, whether that's in your work, whether that's in parenting, whether that's in your relationships, whether that's in sex. I don't mind where it goes. I'm open to where we, where we, where we end up. The thread being that inside-out approach. And so I purposefully asked the questions from the outside in. Mm -hmm. But obviously, we're going to be talking from the inside out. Mm. What you need, not that one is right and one is wrong, but that inside-out approach is the thread that I'd like mm. to use um, today. Are we all cool to do that? Sounds good yeah. to me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let us start with, you know, right now there's a lot going on in the world. We know this from, you know... With the quarantine, the lockdown, COVID-19, um, a lot of thing, uprisings around the world. And so racism being very, um, shining a light on that as well. So what, and this is for ourselves, but also for others, what kind of things do you think we need to be really addressing for ourselves right now in mm -hmm. this moment so that we can have the impact that we're wanting to see or the changes we think need to happen in the world, whether mm -hmm. we're the ones to make it or not? But obviously, you know, what can we do? What can we speak to? Hmm. I want to jump in. Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, because for me right now, I think the most important skill I need to hone is actually listening. And not listening to what I want to hear, to listen to what I don't want to hear, and then to listen even more deeply to what's underneath that. Mm. And then just be with it without having to actually have an answer or have a solution. Yeah. But actually show that I'm here. I'm listening. I'm curious. And lean into that. So I think that's a skill set that I think for me right now is I have to keep flexing and exercising a lot. Yeah, and I think listening and deep listening is really important. And I'm, I mean, I personally, knowing you, would say that you're already gifted in listening. So obviously you wanting to take it deeper and further mm -hmm. is, is wonderful. I'm wondering for those who may not find that this is a natural skill or one that they've developed yet, what are some of the things that they can do to get into mm -hmm. deeper listening? 
that space where, as you said, it's not about trying to solve or sort. It's just holding the space. Um, There's three simple words that I use in my heart, but I also say them out loud. And it's just tell me more. Mm. Even if someone's super angry and yelling at me, and just I, I do a body gesture of leaning toward, mm-hmm. tell me more, and that's it. Then I shut up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the key there is then you shut up. Mm-hmm. Because especially in instances where <laughs> someone might be angry and yelling at you, it isn't easy to be quiet and shut up, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think there's some really key, really key points there. Yeah. Either of you want to jump in on that? Yes, I think that listening is probably one of the best gifts, actually, you can give to a person. Um, I would concur that listening matters right now. I think it correlates perfectly, actually, with my own view that, as you know, as you talked about the outer world versus inner world. And from the outer perspective, there is this, for me, a, a, a wish that we connect more with our truest self. Mm. And from the inner perspective, I'm talking about accessing my own potential. Mm. In this environment, both of those things come with disidentification with the false self or the egoic mind. So I think when it comes to listening, um, in this uh, example, um, that I think is helpful. I think it's certainly helpful from a point of uh, building relations building understanding and i just recently actually wrote two articles on fostering understanding so it's timely Mm. it's quite fresh in my mind Mm. (laughs) but actually the core for me is about the presence Mm -hmm. the presence uh, the sustaining of awareness over time is what allows the expansiveness Mm. and as you say holding the space for listening to happen so for me it's really about presence how do we cultivate that presence then is really from my perspective is um, enhancing our own observation of self uh, and that comes from my experience in meditative practices Mm. but that's how I feel you can take listening from hearing to listening to deep listening Mm. nice awesome Mm. I'll jump on that because I tend to divide it, the concept of awareness into two, myself and others, to eventually guide that, guide that into a third space. But building the awareness of oneself as to what our normal patterns are, our conditionings are, and then being able to, or at least be willing to build the capacity to acknowledge what it is that we are made up, that we are made up of. And a sense that um, if someone knows for themselves that they are not really good at listening and listening to hear as opposed to listening to reply, then allowing themselves to be the first, um, the first person that they actually listen to without responding to, I think, mm. would be a very, very beautiful place to start. Mm. Because the distinction here to me is very important, and the listening to hear. And the listening to reply are two different things. Mm. But also even the listening to understand. Because from time to time people are working very hard at listening, but they are not really trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And that to me has got very little value as far as I'm concerned. Having said that, there's another part of listening that I think is important to mention, which is discrimination. And I don't mean discrimination in a negative connotation. I mean the actual needed 
discrimination needed when you listen to someone. Who are they talking to? Where is it coming from? What are they cultivating? What is it supposed to build? Is it coming from a place of love? Is it coming, coming from a place of hate? Is it coming from a place of understanding, questioning, or assumption? And to me that comes in a practice of, say, mindfulness and meditation when you allow yourself to learn to slow time down to the point where when somebody speaks, you somehow, within a few milliseconds, assess for yourself, and you often get it wrong, and that's, that's called being human, you assess for yourself what you can sense they are coming from. And then you respond to that either silently or with something based on what your prerogatives are, mm. what your positions is. Because from time to time, the best thing to do, as I said, I was saying, was simply to listen and be silent. Mm -hmm. And from time to time, the best thing to do is actually listen and then challenge. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And that comes in that differentiation, what I call discrimination, between knowing whether... I mean, look, there's a lot of information being thrown at us from all over the place. And I think I'm going to use the word, the term bullshit detector. We've got to be able to build that one skill to a certain level where you're able to just detect bullshit and bullshit peers. Yeah. Even and especially when it comes from yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so awareness starts with oneself, knowing when you're talking shit, basically. Um, and then be able to recognize shit coming from other people mm -hmm. and then allowing yourself to say and stand strong and saying okay I ain't gonna stand for this or there's something for me to build here or there's something I can work with or this is something that needs to stop and I need to not be part of this conversation mm -hmm. yeah That's awesome. I love, I love that. Again, coming back to the bullshitting yourself, because it's then again, you know, not just what's going on out there, but what's going on in here. So when I asked that question, obviously, I threw it out for you to come from what you think right now um, you might need to do and then how you can that can man be manifested outwardly. And so obviously we all touched on Saida's point of listening, which I love. Is there something in particular that you had in mind differently to that in that what in what's going on in the world all the stuff that I mentioned at the beginning what is something that you feel right now for you you can look at so that that is then what's rippled out into the world and it's all it's fine if it's also um, deep listening but I just thought I'd come back to the question so I actually feel it's presence yeah. which I alluded okay. to earlier right. because for me listening is nested in presence mm -hmm. if you're really able to do it deeply and the presence and with the enhanced awareness as we've already heard is what allows us so I call it the soil actually mm -hmm. uh, I may have mentioned that last time we spoke but presence is the soil and then listening expressing compassionately and really just bringing some quality attitudes to the engagement is what I call the seeds mm -hmm. but presence is the housing for this to happen this enhanced awareness which then for me allows the expansiveness of the deep listening, compassionate expression and bringing mindful attitudes to bear. So presence would be the key for me right now. That will allow people to step back, as you said, to step back away from the reactivity, maybe, um, the defensiveness, 
uh, and really question is, you know, giving us the space. You know, all these things are floating around already in the conversation. Mm. But I don't think that can happen without presence because then we're still in autonomous operation without mm. the presence. Mm-hmm. And then the conditioned mind is determining how we act and respond. Mm. So without that space or distance away from that conditioned path, the way that we so often walk, then we're, we're unable to grow properly. So I would say presence is, is probably needed more now than ever. I mean, it's always needed. Yep, of <laughs> it's yeah. always needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but especially when things get really hot mm-hmm. and testing and people lose their sense of self and their own mind. And, and, and also it helps us to question our own idea of identity, our own concept of identity. You know, who do we actually think we are? Mm. You know, who are you? Why are you different from me? You know, all these questions can then be asked in a more constructive way mm. i think presence is the soil for those mm. conditions mm. to thrive presence is the soil for those conditions to thrive i love that yeah so i'll i'll, I'll add um i'll add another practical thing that i find useful for myself and that i share with people i work with which is that um changes both um at societal level, but also very personal level, as far as I'm concerned and as, I, as far as I can understand, cannot be based on the feeling of guilt because it's not sustainable and it's not healthy. So, listening and hearing the various issues that may not affect us directly. Um and wanting to contribute to the betterment of things and of life for many people around us, to me cannot be fed by a feeling of guilt. And as such, um, I am tempted always to remind people of their powers, of their potential, of what they've been doing good, but also not to take on the burden of somehow wanting to change the world and somehow feeling guilty for things that have happened way before their own understanding of how things were in life. Mm. So presence is important. I really agree with um, Calvin because knowing where you are, where you stand, where you come from will allow you to somehow maneuver yourself through various changes that may well need to happen and may well need to take place. But allowing ourselves to be to do that both with ourselves and others as compassionately as we possibly can and know full well that change takes time and that if ch- something is changed to something else, it, it will bear a cost. And to be future-minded enough to also appreciate mm-hmm. that any change is not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so jumping on from listening to being present um, personally to wanting to affect the world before you, you you jump and you make big lips massive lips in changing yourself in order to change the world because we all know um, the saying be the change you want to see in the world before you do that acknowledge or let us acknowledge let us acknowledge the, uh, the cost that's going to be involved in that let us acknowledge the cost that's going to be involved in asking others to change so that they may fit our demands and our requirements as to what we think the world is supposed to become. 
there is to me a, a very deep aspect of listening because that may mean that you may feel very very strong about being right about certain things mm -hmm. but if you were to ask yourself the question uh, you know how much better are things going to get if you were to do this if you were to mm -hmm. make people feel certain type of guilt in changing their ways mm. um That is, is what I'm trying to listen to, especially nowadays with every change has been forced upon people, with mm -hmm. so much guilt and uh, being thrown at people and so much uh, virtue signaling um, that I am slightly wary about and I'm always mindful not to, uh, not to jump on too quick to remind people to do better at this and that. Yeah, I had a conversation earlier actually with Saida and um, she was reminding me of the saying, you can only see where you are. Mm -hmm. And I thought yeah, actually we could speak to that a little bit just mm -hmm. to come to add a little bit onto what Raph is saying about, you know, what you think is good, what you think is the world that we need to live in is not everybody. Right? It's, we have to acknowledge as the individual, yes, we know that there is good that can come of change, But yeah, what is the cost? There's also negative, um, you know, repercussions that can come from change. So it's not change is a blanket approach. But I want to talk to, again, coming back to self, that you can only see where you are. Mm. So talk to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an old spiritual idea that, that your ability to perceive, you can only perceive what's actually here. And, and then it's a... Projection, and they they saw that with when the Aztecs were looking out at the ocean, and the Spaniards were coming. They couldn't see the boats. They they couldn't identify. It wasn't in their reality. They didn't see them. They could see something else, but it wasn't a boat, and it was to their detriment, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, but for us here, for the inner work, uh, when I am in a state where, say, my heart is closed, and I make the assumption that people are a holes. <laughs> I'm going to see that everywhere I look, and I will not recognize kindness or love because I'm not open, I can't, can't see it. So then the inner work for me has always been, if I'm starting to see the world that way, I, I actually need to go in. I, I can't be going, you need to change, and you need to change, and you have to be less like this so that I can feel good. I go in, I'm like, wait a second, is that really true? Is, is what I'm seeing accurate? And so the inner work, I think, for me, is the most important thing for social change because when we can actually work on our wounds and we're not leading with the wounds, I'm not leading with everyone's horrible because they hurt me, but I'm actually open, then I actually start to see magic. Then I'm meeting individuals on individual cases with my heart that's curious and it's open, and then I'm building something fresh and new outside of ideals or constructs. And that's the magical essence of the inner work when you finally heal and your heart starts to open a little bit mm -hmm. and you get curious. And, and for me, that's been remarkable. And maybe because I've traveled so much and I've been in all kinds of cultures and, and I grew up as a minority uh, and uh, quite abused in that, in that setting, maybe I learned to do that at a young age. So maybe it's a skill set I have a little more. Uh, accessible for myself mm -hmm. than when we grew up in a very same thing every day, same people. But the inner work is the same. So I often will ask my students when I'm teaching because they tell me, oh, all men are horrible. They're, all men are toxic. I'm like, are you sure about that? Or is it your own relationship with your own masculine that's toxic? 
and maybe should have a look there. And as their relationship with their own masculine actually becomes more benevolent, suddenly they're like, actually, there's some great guys out there. Right? Yeah. So that's where that comes from. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. <laughs> some wonderful ones right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. All right. Jump in, fellas. Can I just extend <laughs> yeah, on please. the first thing you said about the Aztecs? And I, I really <laughs> like that. We referred to, um, I believe it's called paradigm blindness. Yeah. And that description of not being able to see beyond your own experience blinds you to the other potential realities. So there's one really good thing. And then, you know, you said, tell me more or asking these further questions. You know, one of the questions I always ask my clients is, I always say, is that true? That's it. You know, they'll make an assertion. You know, I had a client call last week and it was an absolute strong assertion that this is the case. <laughs> is that true? It's a good question to ask for me because then it, it really helps us to explore, well, what makes me so sure that that is actually true? If there is a readiness there in the person. Mm. And if the readiness is there in the person, then, as you say, it requires a turning of the attention inward. Mm. And turning of the attention inward allows us to explore that. So from the, from the first point of view, then is like, are you ready or willing to turn your attention inward? We've heard that society is a mirror and it's really reflecting, you know, like you say, if you believe that all men are bad, you can only see bad men, right? I had some, some person attending one of my workshops last year and it was like, the world was absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. And I must admit that I was having a time of my life. So were we existing in different worlds? Or is it just that our perspectives are coming from inside and reflecting back? Yeah. So there is that question of, is that really true? Um, and then maybe we can then branch out or extend beyond the paradigm itself. Mm -hmm. Understanding, of course, that the belief system or the perspective that we're taking, mm. one, is limited by our experience, two, can be compounded by our storytelling mind, the egoic mind working on you and saying, you know, this is the reality. And then if that is a understanding that we begin with, then we're able to explore it with a bit more freedom. Yes. And we're not as constrained by the belief system. So the Aztecs will be able to say, I see this thing on the horizon it is so far out of my reality, but what is that? Is it really true? Can I really write that off as a cloud or whatever? Um, what's really coming there? What is it that I'm projecting out to there that's determined that I accept that this is currently true? So, yes, I would wholeheartedly agree with that idea of being able to understand that we are inside a box and we see the walls from inside. Mm -hmm. uh, what does outside the box look like? Is it even a box? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and is, is that really true? That question opens up to the mm -hmm. possibility of then not all of my thoughts are true. Yes. You know, and that's, a, that's an interesting one. I, I, working with clients, it's, it's one of the, the, I wouldn't say the biggest um, things, but one of the key breakthroughs when people go, but hang on, if that isn't truth, then no, all of this stuff that I thought was, 
there there is a ripple and a breakthrough through that that one question mm-hmm. that can once you as you said the willingness to open up and and and, and explore the answer mm-hmm. then i think that ripple ripple out can be really extraordinary when you start to question a lot but also what it does is it helps you to secure what is for you which is also an equally important and I and I say for you because what is true for you in this moment is not necessarily true for other. Mm-hmm. So again, that's that's a very interesting exploration for sure. Yeah. I don't have much to expand on that because I'll, I'll take it somewhere else. So Yeah, um, please do. Go on. Take it somewhere else. Well, We mentioned this last time that, um, at least I think we were in agreement, in agreement that um, we all underst- we all here understand that we are the sum of the stories we tell about ourselves. And um, the point that I think I'm trying to make is that if we go too fast at changing the narrative, you end up not really knowing the story at all. And you end up not really understanding yourself to the point where you can Mm. really make effective and practical changes that are going to be beneficial to you and the world around you. So whether it's being aware of of your own um, biases and uh, where you lean, you know, the the areas that you lean onto, that you lean away from, I, I do think that I like I think the term I'm looking for is recognition. Mm. That those things that we want to change have been, to an extent, very positively useful. So, I am here heading towards changing the term change to transformation. Mm. Mm. Nice. Because transformation, I, I feel has got something a bit more lasting to it. But it's got something that is a bit more... I don't know... rooted and grounded in, <laughs> in who, you, who you are truly... who you truly are as a person from the get-go. And I'm talking about from the unconscious aspect. Like becoming conscious of, of your own biases, which are very much part of your personality and your, and your being, mm-hmm. um, helps... Me helps you, helps us becoming more of who we are. Now trying our best then to to capitalize on those biases in order to serve both yourself and others, I think is where it's at. Mm. And doesn't mean change those biases. Just appreciate that they're there first and foremost. Coming back to the term awareness. Coming back to this concept of presence. Be present with your own biases, with your own preferences, with your own lack of knowledge, with your own ignorance, but also with your knowledge of what could very much be the truth. And then aiming for better. Mm. And let that lead the way towards a transformation that can be really, Mm. really useful, not only to you only, but to others as well. And I think a real positive transformation always shows up in the useful for me and others i'm not going to say everyone no but at least you know and it can be in the other order for others and into me but it's got it's got to me that connotation of 
positive and you know I'm not a fan of positive uh, talk, <laughs> you know so I, it's like you know I find I find so many positive things in negativity um, but so there's this whole thing of be positive for the sake of it it's not what I'm referring mm. to um, but positive as in walkable useful to go forward in time mm. in life and to move on from whatever we are stuck in that yeah. is what I call positive um because if it, one once one you have that once you have that awareness, the positive thing could be also to say, "I am moving from where I am because other thing is actually just fine, and that to me would be just useful as well um, yeah, I mean, I personally love the word transform i mean it's, in terms of coaching that 's what I call myself, and I think kind of touching on what you said it's it 's a way um having respect for the past, having respect for the past experience so that it 's not I'm changing, so I'm not that, and now I'm this. It's mm-hmm. that is that's part of the journey. That's part of the process and the progress from mm-hmm. where I was to where I am, and even if it's just tomorrow to where I'm in a year or two. So I really resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Um, using the word transform instead of change is an interesting one. But I do want to ask you something, um, and you can all touch on this. But because you brought it up and you mentioned. Um, the pace uh, sometimes people may go through things th- those changes too quickly I'm curious or too fast what determines the pace the outcome and how much of a, um, how big a cost it was the change had mm-hmm. okay so the outcome not the process well the pace is the process so Processes to me are in relation to, from the context of what we're talking about right now, is getting to a better place, mm-hmm. whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. That is the process. But you've asked about the pace of that. Yeah, so, I mean, for, when you say that people, sometimes if the change is too fast, like sometimes it's not, that's not what's needed. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is, we know certain things take longer. So I, when I say what determines the pace, I want to know if you think that... I'm saying to Saida, oh, Saida, um, I really feel like I want to, uh, I don't know, be able to be a black belt in martial arts. And that's the outcome I would like. Mm -hmm. And I've never done martial arts before, so this is where I am now. Mm -hmm. Do I have a say in the pace in which I move, or is it just based on the outcome? Because you say it's the outcome, not not the process. Then it comes down to the definition of your outcome and your understanding of what is it that you're yep. really truly asking for yep. mm-hmm. because the pacing then will be dis- di- will be dictated by your growing understanding of the goal that you're working towards mm-hmm. there are martial arts out there you can get a black belt in six months and there are martial arts out there you cannot get a black belt before 10 years then how aware and, and knowledgeable of yourself you are or your own standards, your own qualities, what type of depth are you interested in, uh, the quality that you're working towards, um, the depth of engagement and the depth of inquiry, uh, the meaningful behind the process itself, mm-hmm. the meaning behind the process itself. And when you talk about getting a, you know, a black belt, you're not talking about a process, you're talking about a goal and a destination. Um, yeah, so in, the in, in that instance then, the, the pace somewhat is determined in, in, by ex- internal and external factors. Obviously, they're, they're vast because we're talking about, as you said, mm-hmm. you know, 
how determined you are, the standards you have, mm-hmm. what you want. Mm-hmm. You might decide, actually, I don't care if I, um, you know, if I happen to do that in a year or 10 years or 20. I just know that it's the process. But sometimes you think, oh, no, yeah. I really want to make sure that I'm a black belt by or whatever. So determined by that internal value, that internal um, desire and design and also the external factors of you just can't get a, get a black belt in that until you've done this yes because that's just what it is you know where you don't have a choice in that you have to decide to go through that go through the work do the work so in a single world what determines the pacing is your is your understanding of your own ignorance Mm. in um in, in indonesia there was a high priest and he taught me something called the law of time and he said you cannot pull on a seedling and it be an oak tree overnight mm-hmm. it it has its own timing and ever since he planted that little seed in my head when i want something now oh why is it not now it's taking so long it's five million times slower than i want it to be i remember the law of time i'm like oh and then i just relax and there's there's something very important about that mm-hmm. so some of us want change now we we're, we're sick of how things are yeah but when we say that, as, as you were saying, Ralph, we don't understand what that actually Im- implicates. Mm-hmm. If we want suddenly that the world has zero carbon emissions, what, we're all just going to walk everywhere? We just get rid of all the vehicles? We no longer have this and that and that and this? I mean, there's so much that the individual has to take on for the change to happen that quickly. Yeah. And most of us would not be willing to let go of the kind of lifestyle that we have to have this thing and that's why I think having elders or having people who help to pace society with some wisdom in a yes and conversation yes there's I I hear you yes it's valid and we need to consider and continuing to lean into those yes and conversations so that we can as you were saying, the transformation, have transformation. To me, I love that word because formation, we are formed one way. Trans means to go beyond. So that means we have to constantly go beyond the rigid formation of our minds and how we hold our bodies and how we respond. Uh, so if we're really looking for transformation, then it's moment by moment and also dissolving rigidity within our own selves. So that's a practice that currently very few people have access to i believe mm. that practice of softening of trusting of allowing these are not words you hear mm. and i think we need those if we actually want to transform even more rapidly mm. uh, yeah mm. <laughs> yes little <laughs> <laughs> so actually I'm like listening and digesting and I'm thinking what's coming to my mind is the personal desire and how the personal desire is differentiated from universal intelligence, divine timing, the law of nature, however you want to describe it. But as you mentioned, there is what you want and then there is time. That idea it's actually what it's saying to me is there is something else governing the transformation process beyond your own personal desire Mm. and there is a surrendering to that so in this ancient wisdom where did you say it was from indonesia it's an ancient indonesian wisdom which says 
there is time. You can't. There is just some. There is something that is out with your control, <laughs> basically. And it doesn't matter how much you want it. The person who suffers is only you. <laughs> you can't force mm. things to happen. So there is an element then of uh, letting go, and I think that letting go, that surrender, is probably pertinent here. So as we now are working with ourselves in this climate, and we want to see the change, we work and then we mm. let go. We work and then we let go, mm. and there will be, I would guess, some retrospective rearview mirror feedback, which lets us know, hang on, that was too fast or not too fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I need to, and then that kaizen continuous improvement happens, mm. constantly adjusting course. You know, I need to go a little bit more left, a little bit more right, a little bit more forward, a little bit more back. That happens in the gap between action and surrender, in the gap between planting the seeds and surrendering mm-hmm. to time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yes, I I can see the two marrying, and they can't be separated from each other. They're you know they work together. Um, so that's one of the things. So actually, interestingly, the uh, the idea of letting go to me into the time, into the nature, into that greater power requires a degree of selflessness, which we then have to go back to that first question is who actually are we? Mm. Who are you in the first place? What does selfless actually even mean? You know, what is, what does that word even mean? So it means that at first there is an idea of self and that idea of self needs to become less <laughs> in order to surrender to something out with our control. Mm which in itself is quite a big thing to comprehend on a philosophical or intellectual level. But when you really sim- simplify it down to presence, then you can see in present moment, micro moments, then you experience tiny experience of selflessness. Um, and that's transcendent in my mind. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. Whew. This is awesome, feeling this really really lovely um you know there is something and i know you'll relate to this calvin obviously we grew up with the same parents um but thinking about you know i think one of the biggest lessons i've learned certainly um growing up and i and i again just touching on this because we're again coming from that inside out approach is knowing when it's your shit knowing when to take responsibility for your stuff Mm -hmm. right and equally knowing when it isn't yours so since we're still on this theme and thread of the inside out approach I'd be curious to talk to that because I personally feel that this this attitude I will call it has saved me heartache it it has given me a chance to um overcome the emotion ups and emotional ups and downs that you know experiences present and so on and so forth. But it implies if you're taking responsibility for something that is yours, that you know it's yours in the first place. That you know to look inwardly to find something. Mm. And then the the blaming and the, the outer, this is you, your fault, you, 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 changes because you know what's yours and equally what's not. So, I mean, obviously, hubby's next to me now. Very often, I might come to him with nonsense, as people do. And he'll say, Sim, I hear you, but that's not me. That's nothing to do with me. 
Take your time, work it out. And if you need someone to listen, I'm here. But that's your stuff. Go work it out. And vice versa. Because we know when it's ours. Or I would actually just come and say, this is my stuff, but I need to express it. So the point I'm making in all of that, not necessarily just in relationship, but certainly in interaction in general, talked about a little bit. How Mm -hmm. to take responsibility for your own stuff and equally when it ain't yours, don't touch it. Leave it over there. Mm. I think there's a few components to that Mm. Um, responsibility ability to respond Uh, very few of us have that we react we have reactability Uh, part of that reactability comes from having a system that's permanently on high alert something bad's going to happen and so we have the amygdala that's firing we have the stress response in the body it's absolutely impossible for an under-resourced person to be resourceful, to think creatively, to even feel, to even see. You can't, what happens when we're in a stress response, vision narrows, everything, the blood flows away from digestion and, and even your, your frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. So you can no longer think in a creative way. All you want to do is fight or flight or freeze, and now you're completely incapable of mm-hmm. handling what's in front of you. That is the state that most people live in day in and day out. And so part of what we need to do before we even start talking and exploring ideas and philosophies is first just regulating the human body. If we could just get human bodies more regulated, taking some deeper breaths, Mm -hmm. just teaching people how to breathe. It sounds ridiculous because we all breathe without thinking. But when we think about breathing, we can actually modulate that nervous system. Mm -hmm. And then we need to learn how to actually identify when we're in that alert, stressed, uh, and when we're actually able to take some deep breaths and go, okay, I am feeling stressed about this, but I've breathed enough to relax and to hear and to get creative or to own and to explore in myself Mm -hmm. or to ask questions outwardly. So I think that's the first mechanism. I always love body first, mind second, because the mind can't, the mind just does this, and if the system is in high alert, it doesn't matter what, what's going on here. But you can use consciousness to then choose to regulate the body. And then this is a teachable skill. And little kids now are learning this in school. They're learning how to meditate. They're learning how to regulate their breath, especially now. It's been very scary. Uh, so in some areas, they're really seeing a di- big difference when a child knows how to just breathe and mm-hmm. self-regulate. So that's where I wanted to start the conversation just really quickly on that, um, the kind of going into the fight or flight, what if in front of you, you have someone, you're having a conversation, you and I are having a conversation, and it's very harmonious in terms, in fact, we're just communicating, it's wonderful, but what I'm putting down isn't yours, you're not in fight or flight, you're not in freeze, you're not in, yes. I'm in, I need to get in my body, you're just calmly taking in what I'm saying. Yeah. What is the the frame on that, knowing when it's yours and then knowing when it's mine? Right. I don't think you can identify, make that separation if you don't have a stronger sense of self. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't spent some time, I call it marinating in your own essence, Mm -hmm. where you're just, you you get to know, as uh, Raf was saying, your biases. You get to know, are you in presence or are you not? If you don't even know what that is, that's Mm -hmm. a good place to start. Yeah. It's a really good place to start. Just start there. 
Yeah. And then what happens very quickly, because we're very instinctual and intuitive beings, you come in contact with someone else, your whole body is reading the other person instantly. You're getting way more prelingually than you are in, in the yes. language. Mm. Um, and then you can learn very quickly, because I used to do this, I'd get headaches and stomach aches, and then I'd turn to the person, I'm like, are you okay? And they're <laughs> like, no, I have a headache and a stomach ache. I'm like, oh, it's not mine. And then it would just disappear. Right. So <laughs> learn to um, seek relations like ours is great because I can come to you with something and then there's this clear mirroring. We have mirror neurons and we're always mirroring things. But if we lie to each other intentionally, it destroys this very sensitive system that allows us to trust that we're feeling something and something's off. Mm -hmm. And then we can say, okay, something's off, Simone. I'm not sure what you shared. It's maybe all your stuff, but it's actually there's something going on for me too now. That's very advanced Mm -hmm. uh, emotional behavior. So I think in the beginning, just simply sitting with, I'm insecure, I get jealous easily. If someone picks their nose in front of me, I fly into a huge rage. Um, and then you, you have these things. And then when someone starts doing this, you're like, oh, it's happening. And you're like, okay. But you can own that it's your thing. Yes. Right? And breathe. And breathe. But, but first, really, it, it does ask us to not be afraid to put the devices down, to to say goodbye to personal interaction for a moment, sit in nature, sit alone, go for a walk, and just be in your own relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, what do I love? What are my biases? What are the things that trigger me? And, and get to understand that. Because without that first, there's no way I'm... The second you're angry, I'm going to think, oh, everything's wrong with me. And then I'm going to uh, take it personal. And mm-hmm. it's a mess. So, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. As, you, as you're saying that, um, it's funny because my, uh, not only my understanding of, of the question or the point that you made about it, but also uh, the example that you gave automatically didn't put me in the... Um, let me just check myself. It was in relation to when someone comes to me and I'm mm-hmm. the recipient. Um, it's something that I've been, in most of my life, been commented on for being able to just be fairly stoic even before I, I knew the meaning of stoicism, mm-hmm. um, even when I was younger. And I don't know where I, I, I get that from exactly. I have an idea, but, you know... Um, and anyhow, I'm I'm babbling here, but all of that to say, I think I think this. I teach this to teachers, and to me, it comes down to one particular skill. That's what I, I just broke it down. As far as I'm concerned, what you said about my ability to just you come to me with some nonsense as people do, and me just to sit there and, and just put it and sometimes just throw it back in your face and just put it just it is. Mm. My ability to do that comes with one thing and one skill that I'm doing my best to coach others to develop is that I do not mind being disliked. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of us are way, way too wary about being disliked. And mm-hmm. I think this convention aspect, this thing, oh, I do not mm-hmm. want to be misunderstood. I do not want to be disliked. I don't want to be talked about negatively. And all of that is proper BS. And as soon as one appreciate the value that comes with not caring whether or not you're mm-hmm. liked or disliked, then there's certain truth with a capital T that just starts to appear. And then if mm-hmm. you are in the presence <laughs> and if you are fully self-aware, 
you can really and truly just say it as it is because yes, the person will dislike you for that period of time. However, you will be able to stand strong in what you are trying to cultivate in your life and where you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Because as I mentioned early on, where's this person coming from? What amount of self-awareness has been thrown at me right now? Mm-hmm. What lack of self-awareness has been? What am I being blamed for? Yep. As I mentioned earlier on, this whole thing of guilt, just like recognize when someone is trying to make you feel guilty about something that you got fuck all to do with. And be very clear about that. And I always suggest to people, just be very direct about it at that specific Mm -hmm. period of time. And then once you've been direct, put it this way. When you're ready to talk, if you want to bounce a couple of ideas off, as in be practical, then come back to me. But as I said, it comes down to me, as far as I'm concerned, to that one skill. Develop the capacity to be disliked. It doesn't last. That's the secret. Yeah. And so just to touch on the other side of that, because I think yes, I, I, I know you and I love that. Um, what happens when it's yours, when it's your stuff? How do you work on that when it's not about mm. throwing it in someone else's face, but facing it yourself? Mm. Give me an example. I don't know. You I don't know. It's an, you have an interaction with someone and you you say something. It might be in the moment or in reflection mm-hmm. that you notice that was not about that person in front of me. That was my stuff. Mm-hmm. I need to sit with that. I need to whatever with that. Mm-hmm. I just wonder what's your practice with in, inward looking for your own stuff because we all have um, interactions, whether it is as a teacher with your students or me or your friends or mm-hmm. the world in whatever way. Um, and we react sometimes, you're using the word react, um, to something. And it's not about the external, it's about the internal. So I'm just flipping what you said just now. How do you throw it in your own face, for the lack of better of words? <laughs> you throw it in someone else's face and reflect back to them what is mm-hmm. needed. How do you do that for your own, for your, yourself? Oh, well, I mean, practically speaking, the second skill I guess I've developed over the years is that I (laughs) I like being in that space, personally, Mm -hmm. where I am teaching and whatever comes out of my mouth, whatever my body is going through is something that I am going through as opposed to whatever else might be going on. Mm -hmm. I personally like this. Not to blow my own trumpet. It doesn't happen often in the season. Why? <laughs> I like it a lot. You know, when I'm on my toes and I'm like, oh, things are moving at a pace that I'm not um, accustomed to or I'm not really vibing to right now. Yeah. Because then you talked about and you've asked me about process and what dictates the pace of things, of certain processes, is then how much time do I need in order to self-regulate? So this is how I threw it back mm-hmm. at my face mm-hmm. to go, okay, this is your own bullshit right now. Let's see how much time, and I don't rush it, how much time you can come out of that. With experience, you'll know and understand also that from time to time, you were not wrong in the first place. And from time to time, but that's next level things we, we can talk about as well, meaning that I can self-regulate, but I also trust my instincts. Mm-hmm. So, self-regulating, this is my own stuff, nothing to do with people, but my spidey senses have been spiked mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a reason. So, I'm still aware of that. If it's something that I'm throwing in somebody's energy, it is because I believe I received it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It I might mean, be my mistake to think it's that person that's in front of me as opposed to the person who's giving me my coffee five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. But 
And I think that trusting instincts is, is key with yeah. that inward looking. It's what you said. Yeah. It is coming back to body. It is coming back to that so that when something is off, you know, mm-hmm. right? Something is off. You sense it. You didn't say, you know, if I just have this parameter right here that I look in my book and I flip through it and I know, <laughs> take right. No, it's this sense, this inner awareness, which again, mm-hmm. keeps coming back to that self-awareness mm-hmm. and that breath and the body, um, which I love. But do jump in on that one. Um, well, well, let, me, let me just add something and I'm going to throw that at Calvin just to, to, to perhaps throw him curveball. I believe that with that comes the, the need for a certain um, comfort with being pretentious from time to time. You know, by speaking up and by mm-hmm. saying, I think I'm right. And by saying, this, what you're throwing at me is not okay. And I'm going to be confident enough, perhaps not pretentious, but confident enough in saying no. And that, that is another one of those skills to me that we have to, to build. And I'm saying that to say that as much as I love that people are wary about not being liked, I often see people who I wish were more pretentious and more confident. And that's the reason why my first answer to your first question mm-hmm. was in relation to potential as opposed to flows. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you feel about that in terms of, you know what, I'd rather you make too many mistakes in telling people to F off than make too many mistakes of letting people in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, before you answer, I call it healthy arrogance. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> um, yeah, so... so I take the point and I agree about the objectivity Mm -hmm. and not letting the fight or flight response hijack how we respond. Um, I think there is an element of, because the question was, how do we know what crap is ours versus the Mm -hmm. other person? I think there is an element of Reflection and additional space needed a lot of the time because it takes two to tango, you know, you can't have one without the other. And so, let's imagine a scenario where somebody comes to me with their crap. How do I feel when they come to me with their crap? Is there going to be my first test? If I feel spacious and neutral personally, then I can be more objective and I recognize that there's probably a bit of presence there. But more often than not, you're both have crap Mm -hmm. that you have to own in that exchange. Even if one person is the major owner and you're the minor owner. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason, the the reason for that is because more often than not, somebody will get defensive. If somebody comes at me, throws some stuff at me, there's a potential for me to become defensive. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Even if it is mostly theirs, this is not really the point here. Because I've got defensive, that means I own some of it automatically. Mm. The second thing is, is that, am I being hijacked right now? How do I know if I am or if I'm not? So this is where the secondary spaciousness, I think, comes into play. Because if I were to just throw it straight back immediately, then I've made an assumption that I am right and I might not be. So it depends on what degree of spaciousness exists for me to be able to sense mm. check that against myself to know that's actually all you, to be honest, but I feel pretty open and relaxed about this. I'm at ease. Versus I'm returning a serve at 100 miles an hour. 
So there's a test there that comes. So often I would actually not respond at all, even if I do believe in that moment that mm-hmm. the this, this stuff belongs to you, because I may not be 100% certain. I may, have been, I may have had a secondary hijacking, which is not quite fight or flight, but it might be like, hmm, but you've still got something here, mate. Why you want to respond in this way? Mm-hmm. And so often there's a payoff that we get inside in our responses as well, mm-hmm. which we, is a drug for us. And so that objectivity needs an additional level of spaciousness. So actually I find often sometimes say nothing at all until I'm able to reflect in that presence. Yeah. And then when I get into the presence, I can go, be even extra objective. So it's three steps for me. is first objectivity with the self-regulation. Then the second one is spaciousness. So actually, is it, is it really, this, is the space really there? And then I can respond with a third degree of objectivity mm-hmm. because I've added that buffer. I've added that buffer. I think with the cultivation of presence, that becomes easier. And sometimes you can respond straight away intuitively, as you mentioned, instinct. Mm-hmm. You can respond intuitively with the right response. Um, but that, that's not a thinking response. That is an intuitive response. Um, and at other times, there is a degree of reflection. So what was your question again about what if About I... being having the confidence and sometimes even um, seeming um, arrogant yes. yeah, yeah, in yeah. responding yeah. to people. Um, constructive arrogance or helpful arrogance. Or Healthy or... arrogance. Healthy arrogance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that's a helpful way to look at it. Um, I would actually determine it as neutral, not caring to be liked or disliked. Because desiring to be disliked can inadvertently make me harsher than I need to be. Mm. So I would prefer to be neutral. That's just my personal preference and everyone's style is different. But I would prefer to be in the middle. And then, actually, I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you don't like me. I'm just going to tell you what I accept as true right now in the spaciousness that I come from. Mm. But I do see the necessity for highlighting for people that actually in a, cult, in a culture where we're sort of obsessed with self-image, that we do want to be liked, and therefore the pendulum swings the opposite way where, where we tend to be particularly harsh. Mm. And that might be what a person needs, but only intuition will tell me that, yeah. not like my default position. And mm. that, that would be how I would, how I would respond. Yeah, and I think we don't just want to be liked. Everyone wants to virtue signal right now. And it's, uh, it's very aggravating because you can't have real conversations when everyone's virtue signaling. Um, so I think underneath all this, Simone, and I want to ask you a question. Yeah, please. Uh, all of us, but I'd love to hear you, is um, I, I don't feel like we give the skill set to young people to really understand, well, what would you love out of relationship and what are the gifts that you bring to relating? We, we never contemplate that. So, you know, what, what do we want? So if I'm relating with any of you, what's my goal? What's my purpose here? Is it connection? Is it discovery? Or is it just to be right all the time or to be like fluffed up, whatever it is? So that's what I'd love to just take the conversation. We don't really have that. I can't see that much in our society. Maybe your family had it, but just really teaching young people that what they're bringing into relating and how they bring it is something worthy of contemplating. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I love that question. I think. Um it's interesting, young people, um, as, as a generalization, let's say, again, starting this off, I said that, you know, we grew up with a, in, within a family where our parents from young, I would say, taught us that inward looking peace. 
um, which for me, I definitely um, am very mindful and conscious of with, with our kids, you know, if they have something that they're going through or whatever, I do, I do get them to look inward as much as mm -hmm. outward and to know when it's not theirs. We've had quite a few conversations about this regarding one of ours in school and um, how the, the school and the teachers and people related to him being, um, I would even say they would call it um, arrogant, which for them was rude because a child should not say or speak in the manner in which they felt he was speaking, which was, I hold, I hold strong in what I'm doing and this is not my responsibility. And I am following the rules. You cannot hold me accountable to something that is not mine. And he hasn't used those words, I'm saying this. So I think the, the teaching of the, of the youth is gonna come from fam families first because, you know, and, and then obviously then that branch, it's home, and then that branches out into mm -hmm. communities and ripples out into wider society. But I think as a, as a mother and as a parent, it starts with, um, doing your best to lead by example and instill the confidence in your child mm -hmm. to get it wrong mm -hmm. and search for the answers within that wrongness mm -hmm. because, you know, failing and mistakes, I speak about this all the time, you know, it's just feedback um, and that's all you're looking for at that mm -hmm. stage. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're not even self-aware that there is something to look at, then it's just happenings, which I think a lot of again, it's just a generalization, a lot of youth in society right now stay on the surface unless they're pushed deeper. Um, so I think that probing and that uh, suggestion of something deeper comes from us, of our generation, mm. to lead because there is, you know, yeah. it's like what we get from our parents is very different from what we're giving and what they need mm -hmm. right now. Um, because we're not modeling anything healthy. I mean, yeah. by we, I mean the thing that affects how society are, is reacting right now. Mm -hmm. so the leadership that we currently have isn't right. modeling taking a breath and being present and having healthy arrogance. It, it, no, there's not a moment where someone with true authority on a matter can say something, though. They just get shut down mm -hmm. because they're saying something against the agenda of whatever. So, so I agree. We do need some healthy modeling. And because there isn't any, then what? Yeah. And, then, and so for me, I think it's up to individual adults to start realizing oh whoa <laughs> i'm the model yes and mm. and what am i modeling mm -hmm. in my choices and behaviors and interactions yeah and you t you speak a lot about that limbic resonance in your work so it's not what i say that's going to really impact it's who i am and what i am that that's what they're going to pick up and so again it comes back to that inside out approach which is what the whole thread and theme of this mm -hmm. is yeah guys want to touch on that nothing to add to that i think it's pretty complete mm -hmm. no you too okay cool looks like anything you want to add right this is awesome i'm loving this okay so just coming back to story because we spoke about that briefly mm -hmm. the story um that we tell ourselves and then the story that we tell others and you mentioned raf about that not taking everything away out of the story. It's not like you're trying to create a blank slate because that is not always constructive, right? You mm -hmm. have to, you, you, you don't break everything down and pull it away in one go. It's brick by brick, both directions, let's say. Um, 
right now the way the world is and the way we are obviously individually but globally seeing the world let's say um what do you think is the story that we need to be telling ourselves so that is more of what the world mm. starts to hear listen deep listen to hmm. you want me to be frank and direct as, I don't, I don't, as always i don't think it's a good question All right, and i'll tell and i'll tell you why yeah because my answer to this and that's the reason why I read it, and I may be wrong, but this is my, my take on it as a full example of what we discussed early on. Mm-hmm. It is not about changing or telling people what story they should tell. That to me is... But that's not, not what I said, not telling people what to tell, what you need to tell yourself. So this is what is rippled out. Same thing. Okay. It, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to tell you what story you should tell yourself in order to somehow benefit you, yourself, me or whatever. What I want to do is to help you improve the narrative of your story by helping you growing and expanding your vocabulary about your own life. That is not the same it's thing. It's not, whatsoever. but that's not what I'm saying. You're saying what well, you're going to tell you, but I'm saying what are you going to tell yourself? You, Raf, to you, Raf, not what um, you're going to tell me. So it's not an external thing I'm asking. I'm asking about your inner story right now. What is the story you need to tell yourself so that that is the frequency and the resonance that is what is rippled out, not for you to then go and say to others, this is the story that you need to mm. to tell or have or agree or anything. It's that in inward dialogue I'm referring to. I hear. Okay. I hear. And the inner dialogue is not in dialogue, it's an inner process. Mm-hmm. And the process is about expansion and growth. It mm-hmm. is not about change, it is about, it is about transformation. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't come with changing the story. It comes with our approach to the storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me about your approach to storytelling. Expanding of the narrative, growth of the vocabulary that we use, mm-hmm. appreciating the path, in, the past and, in, in, and its importance on the future. Mm-hmm. Not changing the story. Mm-hmm. but changing our relationship to it. Okay, so what story you need to tell yourself? Did that feel like... Are you like asking I... me the same question again? No, what I'm asking you, what story you need to tell yourself sounds to you like what change do you need to make to the story? Mm-hmm. Does it sound the same to you? If I say, what story do you need to tell yourself right now in order to sit in that resonance and reflect mm-hmm. and, and ripple that out into the world, does it feel for you that I'm saying what you need to change your story to? Um, it depends on what story I'm telling myself and what I think I should be telling myself. <laughs> right, okay. I, I actually, how I feel about this as somebody who actually tells, helps people tell stories <laughs> for a living, yeah. Is I feel that it is helpful to sometimes step out of the story. Um, my view is that we are in storytelling mode most of our conscious uh, egoic, maybe conscious is not the right word, but most of our intellectual mind is in story mode anyway, mm-hmm. all the time. Often we don't know what story we're telling. So in my mind, if I were to map it out, I would say that there is a programming that we already have, and that programming is a narrative that's already running. Mm-hmm. Then there is a reprogramming, which could potentially be changing that story or not, depending on what story you're telling. And then there is a relinquishing of the programming completely. I personally feel that the ultimate place to arrive at is going beyond the story. That's my view. 
and and, and I feel that that comes with the presence and that mm-hmm. comes with a dissociation with the narrative completely. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen continuously for the average person, including me, because I'm conditioned. <laughs> I'm born into the world. I was born in the Caribbean. I speak a certain language. I wear a certain way of working, blah, 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 blah. So there's a programming that already exists. So, so then there becomes a, a, an unconscious story that's running and a conscious one, which is why I go back to the original question when you asked me, what do I think I need to change about myself as opposed to changing the world? If you want to draw a loop between the two, mm-hmm. then I would say it is about discovering the true self. And that I believe that that goes beyond the storytelling mind, beyond the egoic mind. Mm. And that's what I would like to reaffirm in myself, whether you describe that as a story, a narrative, or relinquishing a story. A message or whatever. Or wh- mm-hmm. however, the, however we package the words, that's, I think there is a way for us to bypass the story. Um, and then we can use stories constructively in communication. Then stories then become a way to express ideas and things as we intuit them as opposed to having to make up something, mm-hmm. if I can describe it that way. <laughs> Which I think we do a lot. I think we do yeah. make up a lot, yeah. I want to kind of do both ends. Yes, please. And I'm um, going to come back with the Yeah, and I, I like, um, I always like going back to the nervous system because there's, there's a strong story about everything. And now, you know, we've discovered that we're completely plastic, so we can rewrite this story consistently and the rewriting of it is intriguing because you can't rewrite something if you don't acknowledge it so i always like this uh, idea of the past or called passivity because it's heavy so that's where the wisdom is held Mm -hmm. the past is where we go for the gems we we have to examine what happened where are the gems and then the rest just kind of dissolves but the gems remain and that's wisdom and we want to be gaining wisdom we don't want to forget that that's part of life, it's part of the journey. Mm-hmm. But simultaneous to that past is this possibility that's, that is emerging. And so I'm less interested often in my story than I am in how am I choosing to meet that which is arising right now. Mm-hmm. And part of my work is to be able to be plastic enough to meet possibility, perhaps from a slightly different posture or slightly different uh, viewpoint, and just see what comes of that. And I think there's a very strong creative element that we're not touching on yeah. within these uh, stories that is essential to the human nature. Mm-hmm. It really is. So. And I think that it's very, it's, you know, we a lot of people think about meditation that, you know, I sit and I meditate for 20 minutes and my mind is silent, I hear nothing. And, you know, that's often the myth that comes up, that your mind is clear of thought, there's nothing going on. But even in that silence, even in that release, there is consciousness, there is still dialogue. Even if it's a mantra that you're saying to yourself, there's still something running in the background. And I think it's, it's what we pay attention to, as you say, it's, it's really important um, because this is how then we can make conscious choices on, hey, this is, what I'm, this is, what I, this is how I've been living this and and viewing this and perceiving this because I keep running this thing in my in my mind or in my body or in my nervous system um, and as you say holding space and being open to what is that potential and what's rising over here there is that self self-awareness piece 
that again needs to be in place mm -hmm. because when you kind of work some of that out then you're in a space where where you're resonating is then whether it's the youth the neighbor the mm -hmm. I don't know, the dog, <laughs> whoever's in that environment that you are. And you know, I work a lot in the space of energy and sound and frequency that I know that that frequency and resonance that you are and where you are right now is what is going to be felt. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily verbally, but that is what's going to be um, Absolutely. emanating. That's... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just coming back over to you because I wanted to know if everyone was feeling about that I was saying, what do you need to change? Because it's not where I felt I, I was. So... I want to kind of come back to, you know, the things that we say to ourselves and, and taking what you were saying a little bit further. While trying to be concise about what I was um, saying and got, taking it further, what I'm implying is that I think that the story might not be as important as how you tell it. Mm -hmm. So the construction... And the reconstructions of the story is yes. where it said to me, mm -hmm. it is not about the, the deleting, it's not about the story itself to an extent. And that is why, what story would I tell myself? No, I mean, positive psychology has got some benefit, but, you know, tell yourself you're the greatest 50 times a day. <laughs> does work, you know, we all know um, stories of people who have succeeded in their lives and they're, they're, they're shouting stories of themselves learning um, affirmations and all those things. So we know, but when and truly this, this insight is hinted at uh, what Saida was referring to in the neuroplasticity aspect mm -hmm. and how you can rewire yourself to believe other things uh, so that your, your physicality starts to actually believe your mind and your thoughts. And it is about positiving up. Uh, it's about so it's about turning your, your thoughts to be more positive than they used to be. But in terms of changing the story, no. Uh, improve the narrative by expanding your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I personally wouldn't want to change my story. I would want to see it evolve. Yes. Um, but it takes, no, it takes a knowing. Yeah. And it takes courage. Mm -hmm. You know? 100%. It takes courage. We... The little work that I do with people and, and I see a lot of beautiful human beings wanting to grow into rich heights and I cannot help but put a label from, on it from time to time or fixed mindset even when they don't really want it to be where you're fixed on an idea as to what you're capable of and when you're fixed on an idea as to what your potential is and you're fixed on the idea that this is over for you. Um, it takes courage to, one, be aware of something and then act upon that awareness. Mm. Awareness is stage one, as we talked about earlier on. And then what? That bridge right there, called sati in Buddhist terms. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing what needs to be done and then that bridge between the action in relation to your knowledge of what needs to be done are two different things. Mm. You're in this relationship that you need to leave, whether it's the job or an intimate relationship that gap between knowing and acting upon that knowledge yes <laughs> takes courage it takes guts it takes a few things mm -hmm. and if we can empower each other in doing, though, in doing so I think that's where it's at yes being fully aware of the cost involved mm -hmm. it means you are not going to have to reinvent yourself it means that you're going to have to improve on the narrative of your own story mm -hmm. it means you're going to have to learn a few new words for yourself um, <laughs> in a search the sum of the stories you've been telling about yourself is, is going to increase 
And with that, you're going to have to hold in your mind, in your heart, in your mind, in your head, in your intellect, much more, num- you know, many more numbers and many more words. Mm. But it's fine because you can do that. Mm. Um, that is where, where I think to me, storytelling is important. I, it is how you tell the story. Mm. Mm. And uh, look, I'll tell you something. A few days ago, uh, or sometime last week, I was working with someone who mentioned something uh, beautifully. And I, I, I said beautifully, but I really mean it because I, I, I so disagree with it. But I thought it was beautiful in the way it was shared. And she said, I don't believe and I don't like labels. And then it made me realize that actually I personally like labels a lot. Because labels enable me to do what I understood years ago was useful to do in my life in order to progress and grow. Which is that what gets measured gets managed. And if I'm able to put a label on something, I am now somehow gifted the ability to somehow rate how much of that I am managing. Case in point, as you know, um, six months ago I realized, I realized, discovered, diagnosed, whatever, that I have ADHD. I freaking love that label because now I know what I'm working with. Mm. And the negative connotations attached to that are my responsibility. In other words, it's my job to either take on the negative narratives that people may say, may say because a lot of times we stories that we make up ourselves and i'm freaking proud of it i call it a superpower that's my that's my narration of adhd but because i can now manage it because i know what it is and i'll proudly wear that label to the point where eventually i'll be able to transcend it mm-hmm. but i know full well that if i want to transcend something the last thing i want to do is get rid of it mm. yeah. so yeah Labels, terms, words. We get lost into it. Yeah. This is how we make sense of the world. This is how we make sense of ourselves. By speaking and by changing our minds. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I actually think you're right in that we need to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And that does take courage. We have to risk. We have to go like this. Blah, 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 and then go, oh, uh, <laughs> that's not quite how I wanted that to land. Could I say that again? Can I try again? And having the courage to, like you said, let your kids fail. And why don't we all fail more often, but, but do it as an exercise in creativity mm-hmm. um, and learn to speak and use that voice? Because that's how you learn to think. You can't think, you can't speak everything at once. Mm-hmm. So it actually teaches us how to follow something. And then we can realize, oh, that leads to nothing okay so now i'm going to attempt it this way um so storytelling in that sense is has always been i think in our human history uh, a way in which we learn and grow and share knowledge and develop and and evolve actually yeah it's like learning a new language you know we've got some bilingual maybe even trilingual i don't know around the table and i think you know um there comes a point when you're learning a new language where you really have to let go of the fear of sounding stupid and making mistakes and all of that. And it's when you get to that point and you let go and you just think, well, I'm just going to let whatever wants to come out of my mouth come out of my mouth. <laughs> and I hope they understand is when you, you start to see the shifts. Because yeah. I, re- I distinctly remember that in French where I was still afraid to speak because of how I might sound or what will come out. Will they understand whatever filters 
I had at the time. I think for me, most of the time was that it was like, uh, it's, 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 it's either too much effort or I can't, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to say what I'm trying to say, you know, the understood piece. And then one day I thought, well, it doesn't matter because they'll just hear what they hear and then they'll just recognize I'm not the native speaker and then eventually I'll be better at it. And in that moment of, of being courageous enough to, you know, mess up, and I know you both understand this, you know, you came in when you first moved here, you couldn't buy a stamp, you know, so you know the process of, I just have to just go with it now. I have to surrender to this struggle, this pain, this whatever it felt like so that I can transcend and get to the other side where the work begins. Well, where actually, it really, really begins, right? In, um, in mindfulness, this... So you talk about, you know, worry about, you know, when you're learning French, whether people would think badly of what, how you spoke or, or what have you, something like that. Um, that is um, self-image and it is actually judging of self yeah. as well. And in mindfulness, the non-judgment attitude is, is a doorway to awareness, actually. Uh, and that's often misunderstood because people think uh, non-judging means that you stop judging or you, you will suddenly turn off that discriminating voice. <laughs> which is, we need. Which we need. It, it's helping. It, what it, why it's a doorway is because as we cultivate the awareness of judgment, with a view to relinquish judgment, we become more and more aware and then become more aware of self. And then it becomes easier to relinquish those things about caring what people think about us or whatever. Mm. And it's continuous work, you know, continuous work. But actually the other point about the labels, which I find quite interesting, um, is that, you know, I, I find it helpful in my mind to construct the relationship between a lot of these concepts in a circular way one thing leads to the other the other thing leads to the one thing and round around it goes rather than it such being linear so actually labels for me are both helpful and unhelpful simultaneously as you mentioned you know you need them to navigate the world but also they are constraining so i liken it to a, a cord on a kite you know a kite cannot fly without a cord it needs a cord. You know, if you remember when we were kids, we used to make kites out of like lollipop, uh, <laughs> sticks. lollipop yeah. sticks. Uh, and but you can't fly a kite without a cord. So the very thing that allows the kite to fly is the very thing that keeps it stationary or tethered. And the relationship between the two are similar. So the labels are certainly helpful, and they're also mm. limiting at the same time. Mm. And it's just the paradox of life that we live in. The more and more <laughs> you become aware, the more paradoxes we stumble across. It's like the very thing that's been helpful is also the very thing that's limiting. And then you're just going around in this loop. But you are talking about limitations as, as somewhat negative. And I've also always seen limitations as something as a gift. So from that reason, I, I can not help but somehow slightly disagree with what you're saying because limitations and their negative connotations are, are just what we make of them. But, but I don't actually think here it's a negative thing because remember, it's what's allowing the kite to fly. Mm. Yeah? And that's exactly why I'm saying it is the thing that keeps it here, but it allows it to fly. Mm. So the, your interpretation of that is entirely how you view the cord. Yeah. Is it stopping the kite from flying or is it making it fly? Yeah. And I'm saying that it does make it fly. And so they're actually helpful. So these distinctions then just become semantics after a while. Mm -hmm. um, because actually, yes, it's great, but it's keeping it there too. Mm -hmm. 
There's not, it's not wholly negative, not wholly positive. It's just a thing. Mm. That's how we're, that's the angle I'm coming from at the cord. <laughs> yeah, and then on top of that, you have the cord and you have the kite, but it still ain't flying without the wind. Very true. Good. So what's the wind? Presence, yeah. baby. Presence. Yeah, I was going to circle <laughs> us back to, to being because it's a lot of... It's you said that. I'm yeah. sorry to cut you say that. It's funny you said that because my first answer in my mind was, it's the future. It's not future. present. It's the future. It's goals. And that's mm-hmm. how I rate whether my limitations are useful or not. It's whether they get me any closer to where I want to get to next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think he meant the present. I think he means presence as in... What we were saying what totally in that uh-huh. sustaining of awareness. Of, yeah. yeah, not as in time. I yeah, understand, but, but presence oh, has yeah, got, yeah, yeah, got yeah. a strong okay. connotation. Yeah. 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 Okay, I thought you meant the present as in the moment. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> but it's the same thing. It is. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't see it that way, as in time. Mm. But yeah, okay. To be present it implies all those things, whether it's semantics or linguistics, it doesn't mm. matter. Presence is strongly rooted in now. Yeah. It is. As opposed to then or by tomorrow. then yeah. or tomorrow. Or, we, or yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. Which is then. Yeah. And so the comparison is always there. There's no, there's no so future. There's the no future. present. You feel it's in the future. The wind? Mm-hmm. The wind is the future. Because then it will allow me to, to assess whether the kite is a good one, whether the, the string is strong enough, whether um, I'm actually going somewhere or not, whether there's something to be managed here, whether there's something to be labeled. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm all over the place and I ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the opposite of freedom. Um, so the ability to rate um, and to use labels in order to where I want to get to, in order to manage my current present state in relation to what I wish my next one will be is where it's at um, yeah and I just wanted to add from my, my, my wilderness uh, experience where there's a moment where we're actually you can realize you're interconnected with all things in time and space mm-hmm. and the need to have a mental understanding and to create story or label or anything actually dissolves and then there's a, a grace that comes in and I would tr- I, I just I find that state so rejuvenating I think we need all of it mm-hmm. I think we need time where we're contemplating and considering and and following desire in the directionality of its emergence and I think there's time for review and uh, you know excavating the the old bones and seeing what's there and then there's time which we don't do enough of is just to really feel the aliveness which is happening right here right now mm-hmm. and actually indulge in that moment of silence and of beingness together and i think we're afraid of it because when we're in that state it's profoundly intimate it's like a love making with life itself and for a lot of us, that's uncomfortable. Uh, and yet, when you experience it, you don't want anything else in that moment. It's it's incredible. So I just wanted to bring us back to mm. to all of it. It's the human messiness, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Human <laughs> messiness. Up, up until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sweet. Well. I'm just going to wrap up here yeah. because I feel like we've made full circle. I feel like we've 
well, full had circle. Had some family fun. Yeah, we've had some family <laughs> fun, family conversations, and um, another yummy, I'm, I'm sure, one of many more, two of many more to come, um, maybe via Zoom next time when you're somewhere off. But so wonderful to have you in, in the UK this time. Mm. Um, if you have any final words, even if it's just one, that kind of just feels right to say right now. Now is the time. My favorite words, allow. Allow. Yeah. Allow. It's beautiful. You're good. Silence. Yeah, I'll, I'll load the expansion mm-hmm. with everything that that implies. The scary stuff, the beautiful stuff, the... Uh, the not so beautiful, the ugly side of change mm-hmm. that may when that may well lead 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 us lead you into a transformation. Allow that to happen. Here lies the power, mm-hmm. the whole paradox of control. It takes a lot of control to let go of control. Here is the real control. So allow mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. to take place. Allow yourself to make changes to imply growth, to demand more of yourself and of mm. the world around you mm. without falling prey to guilt, without falling prey to bullshit, mm. without falling prey to, uh, you know, anything that's not benevolent. Yeah. And that's not an- anything that's not aligned with where you want to get to next. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end with love. Thank you all. <laughs> again for your love your presence your wisdom your sharing your openness um i'm so grateful for this conversation with the lovely rafan kb on my right saida desile and calvin niles this is family affair can't wait for the next one love you all thank you so much <laughs> thank you. thanks guys Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.